Welcome to the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. I have a feeling this is probably going to be our worst episode ever, or best, depending on if you like like train wrecks and stuff like that. You're so, really setting the tone over there. I like I like to set a set a low bar, and then you elevate the expectations. You rise past it. So that voice you're hearing is Chris Knee. He's joining me. His arms are folded. He's He says he's in a good mood. No, now they're not. Now he looks like a praying little angel. Uh, and also joining us, we have a, uh, a special guest, Safed Dean of the Orlando Sentinel, formerly of the Tallahassee Democrat, formerly of the Miami Herald. I'm, I'm giving out your resumes. I'm, I'm buttering you up. You like it? I really do like it, but I really just like hate the expectations you said at the beginning of this podcast. High expectations for you, low expectations for me, and that's a good thing. All right. This might be the best podcast I'm ever on, so just letting you guys know. You know, just because I'm here is going to be a lot better, but... Safed's going to kind of come in and out of the podcast, I feel like, because he's doing work simultaneously. And pretty much we invited him to be a part of this because we're all in the media workroom and he's the only person left here. And we <laughs> either had to kick him out or make him a part of it. So. And I felt really sorry that they asked. So I was like, all right, sure, I'll join your podcast. Yeah, initially he said we no. We didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking. Anyways, you guys are listening because you want to know about Florida State stuff. And actually there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, kind of to do the, the, the normal table setting. We're going to talk about Willie Taggart, Harlan Barnett, and Walt Bell because we got to speak to all of them today. It's Sunday evening as we record this, uh, and then preseason camp starts on Monday, so there's good stuff to talk about there. Uh, before we get into, I guess, our takeaways uh, from, from talking to the coaches as well as a little bit of a camp preview, uh, let you guys know there's going to be uh, availability throughout the entire week, so you can check Knowles 24-7 for stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, and then after that, there'll be a little bit of a hiatus in terms of like newsy stuff because FSU is going down to Bradenton IMG Academy from what the August twelfth to the sixteenth. Yep. So they're going there. The FSU announced that they were going to be off campus for a few days. Uh, they can't announce technically where, but it's Bradenton IMG Academy. Uh, and so- Soften wants to weigh in on that because he's been doing a lot of uh, deep digging into uh, well, probably FOIAs and, and a lot of hard hitting <laughs> journalism that comes when you when you're working for a newspaper. I definitely haven't done that much work into it, but I did look into what Michigan did last year. Mich- Michigan coached by ago. Jim Harbaugh, which is Willie Taggart's mentor. Right? Can I speak on your podcast? <laughs> Sorry, yes. Good I'm Lord. Chris, I'm thank you. He always <laughs> talks over people, man. I'm, I'm, just, I'm here for the abuse. MBD FSU is going, finally, someone vindicates it. <laughs> <laughs> or justifies it. Whatever. Go. Talk. Yeah, so um, I was just looking into what Michigan did at IMG Academy. I think that was the spring of 2016 when – uh, Harbaugh was taking the college football world by storm. And Willie Taggart's season. mentor, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> and as you know, Willie Taggart is still really good, close friends with Jim Harbaugh, I think. Um, Willie Taggart and took his son to like an unofficial recruiting visit to Michigan earlier this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Willie Taggart was in Tampa, or Sarasota, excuse me, when um, Jim Harbaugh spoke at the Dickie V Gala, you know, earlier this year too. So they're still really close, really, you know, I'm pretty sure they talk a lot and just this idea, I'm pretty sure Taggart got directly from Harbaugh. And Harbaugh said, you know, it was a great experience for his team. They really helped team camaraderie. Um, and like Taggart said today with us, you know, it helps them kind of go to an unfamiliar place and kind of get to know each other and bond a little bit more than outside of like a comfort zone that it is here in Tallahassee. And that's going to be something similar to, to what they have to face, you know, playing games against Miami, Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, NC State, Louisville, uh, Syracuse too, I guess. <laughs> um, but... You know, for team camaraderie, and I think it's a great idea. I think it could help them exposure if it was a little bit more open to the public. But according to um, what we've been told today, it's against NCAA violations for them to promote or publicize them being at an off-campus site for 
preseason practice. Yeah, it's close to the media and close to the public, and we were told that decision basically is an Indianapolis decision, which means NCA home office. It's not FSU compliance. FSU was actually trying to figure out the dynamics of everything and if they would be able to open a couple practices, if they would allow the media to all or some practices. But at this point, none of that's going to happen. I don't think that changes. Mm-hmm. Now, you looked up finances for Michigan. 350K, is that the number you threw out? Yeah. Did that include travel? Yes, that does include travel. Um, Which, so obviously it would be far less for FSU because travel is a drastically yeah, different beast. It was roughly around 150000 for Michigan to rent IMG. So that's rent dorms, rent the practice facility, and use their like playing field for an open practice, for one open practice. I think they were there for about a week, though. FSU is going for about five days, roughly. So maybe those two days of cost help out there, too. But there was $107,000 in uh, chartered planes or, you know, plane transportation, and then another 50000 or so. I might have that wrong, but another 50000 or so for ground transportation. So I can imagine you, you know, uh, coming from Michigan, you're probably moving a lot of equipment or a lot of people who are maybe on your staff or in your athletic department are traveling by road because you're not on the plane. But FSU is going to bus there. They're definitely not taking any charter flights there. And I think with the You think they're going to bus? No, they're going to. Oh, okay. They're going to bus, sorry. (laughs) Uh, They're not flying there. Um, But you get to bring all your equipment. You get to bring your staff, whoever's going to be housed up there. Um, FSU didn't want to release a ballpark figure on it. They'll know after they go and they count it all up. But um, it should be pretty close. If I had to guess, and this is probably reckless speculation, but I would have to guess probably – Two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, just with transportation, housing, and then they're going to spend at least about probably fifty grand on food alone for the whole week. Do we like this idea? I do. I think it's good for team building. I think it's clear that Willie and his staff are trying to force peer-to-peer connections to exist on this football team for accountability and for guys to get each other. And when you detach them from social media and their apartments and their dorms and their girlfriends and all the distractions. The only other person you have is the person beside you. So I think it's a good thing in that sense, personally. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, like, Remember the Titans. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> it reminds me of that, too. And then, I mean, there's probably another part of it, too, that's like, well, why can't you kind of do that here? Or why aren't you – isn't that already been done since you took the job? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say, you know, this, this is what Tiger believes will help his team. He said he did it before. I heard they went somewhere with the USF team to a um, – to a baseball, like a spring training site. Mm-hmm. I believe Port St. Lucie, I'm not really sure. And I think in Oregon, they went to some high school in Portland mm-hmm. and kind of did the same thing to an effect too. So Tiger's done it before. It's worked before for him. And I think it's something that we might even see almost every year. And it could be probably something that we might even get to cover. Maybe the NCAA will allow it or we'll see. Maybe we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. But if Tiger thinks it works, uh, he's going to keep doing it. And I think it's going to be great start for them, especially as he starts his era here at FSU. Chris, can the IMG kids, do you know, can they watch it, the the players there? I imagine they just trickle outside and they can probably watch that at some point, no? Well, technically, August is a dead period, so in-person contact is not allowed. So prospective student athletes, in other words, recruits, Mm -hmm. would not be allowed. Now, there's, you know, if they're practicing on IMG's football field, there's a press box there. Kid could easily go in there and view it and nobody would know better for it. But there can't really be interaction between FSU and the PSAs. Mm-hmm. Now, I think FSU can interact with Kevin, the head coach at IMG, and the other people on the staff down there. So, you know, uh, there will be some trickleation, some crossover, but it can't really be intentional. 
I, I like the idea. It's, it's, I'm fine with it. It's, it's a week off for us, to, <laughs> so I'm okay with that. Most importantly. Uh, but no, I did that in, in high school. We went away uh, junior and senior year. We went up to Camp Landing, uh, which is outside of... Uh, KP still does that, to my knowledge. Uh, it may have stopped. I think that there was a, there was an incident a couple years ago. Yeah, but he uh, had still been doing it up until he, then, until for sure. Then. Yeah, he, he'd done that, I think, before he came. Because I played yeah. at Dr. Phillips. I think he'd done that before. He'd done it after. He's a big uh, believer. Yeah, but yeah, it's team bonding. It's, it's all that stuff where you kind of isolate yourself. You get to spend time with your teammates in a very... You know, it's like an echo chamber. You're just basically around only those guys for that period of time. So I'm fine with that. I think it's fine. Um, it's decent. I was going to say it's decent exposure, but since media is not there, it's the probably only exposure is for the IMG kids that are that are there to see it. So, uh, anyways, let's uh, let's get onto a few news topics for you guys. Uh, nothing huge that came from Willie Tiger's press conference today. Chris, you wrote about it, and uh, Safed, you asked about the injuries. Uh, just real quick, guys. Uh, on Marvin Wilson and Naquan Murray. Yeah, Tiger said that they're going to both miss the first half of fall camp. Uh, you know, who knows what that means? A week, two weeks, you know, for a four-week <laughs> camp. But um, they're both coming off of, you know, pretty significant knee injuries. Um, Nooney Murray had a um, torn meniscus, I believe, at yeah. the beginning of spring. And Marvin Wilson yeah. had an MCL tear in spring practice as well. Um, and those are two guys who you expect to start, along with it, uh, Derek Kelly, who's a little banged up and might be limited the first week or so. But, you know, Nooney Murray and Marvin Wilson are two guys or you're expecting major contributions from this season. Mm-hmm. Last year, Nooney led the team in receiving. I mean, I think you remember the game in Michigan where he just completely went off and berserked two catches for two touchdowns, 104 yards. Mm-hmm. I only know that off the top Ooh, of the Look at that. Yeah. Looked it up. <laughs> um, but one of those, that 92-yard run was insane. He had great games against Clemson here a couple years ago, NC State too. So, mm-hmm. And leading the team last year, that's what you want to see from an older guy at that group, especially such a young group. And then I think Chris could probably talk a little bit more about Marvin Wilson. You know, we haven't seen much of him at FSU, but – for a five-star kid like that, number one DT in the nation, I think FSU definitely wants to get that kid on the field. Yeah, and in the spring they were praising how good he was doing prior to messing up his knee there. He's cut weight. He's in great shape, probably the best shape of his life at this big of a frame, and he's ready to go. And he's a guy that they're going to rely on a lot, and they're going to do a lot of things around him. Marvin can mess it up in the middle, and, you know, everybody gets obsessed with skill positions, but if you're mucking it up in the middle, mm-hmm. it, it can do a lot of things for your defense. It frees up the other ten guys around him pretty well. And that's one thing that uh, we'll get more into Harlem Burnett earlier, but he kept talking about stopping the run, stopping the run, stopping the run. And, yeah, you have five-star Marvin Wilson in there. That helps. Yeah. Um, win the point of attack, win against the run. Yeah. It's, yep. a simple, it's a simple concept. And, you know, transition to Harlan, he talked about simplicity, and I think it's, you know, it's his bread and butter, but they're going to do it at a high level and consistent with a lot of effort, and they're going to swarm. And it, it's how his defense works. It's not some complex scheme that's out there to trick people. Mm-hmm. And if you can win a line of scrimmage, everything else on defense usually works. Yeah, I think with Wilson and DeMarcus Christmas, you know, your most experienced probably uh, player on defense going up the middle. You got Brian Burns and Kato on the edges there. Yeah, and Barnett talked about Kato. How he always heard his good stuff about him, but he hasn't yet gotten to see it. I want to see it. Yeah, <laughs> spring. But he's excited. It was clear he was excited about him. Kato's probably one of the most jack players on the team. Chris calls him a uh, creative player. He is. He, he looks like a creative player on a <laughs> video know, game. He was really a complimentary of D-Jack as well. And I'm excited to see what, you know, Emmett Rice and, and um, 
Donis Thomas and Josh Brown also do the linebacker position. You're not, you excited to see what, you're not excited to see what those guys do. You're right, but I want to see the <laughs> defense, you know. he uh, Harlan Burnett really talked about playing downhill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, it's, um, and he's talked about the star position being like a, you know, kind of like a safety out there. I'm excited to see, like, Hamza Nasruddin play. You know, he was really, you know, uh, not shy about hitting, you know, other people last season when he played. I'm excited to see him play. I'm excited to see Jaden Woodby play. Yeah, but now I got that Barnett <laughs> oozed on today. Barnett, I believe it was Barnett. Yeah. It might have been Terry. It was Barnett that said he would take a full team of Woodbys with the, yeah. the work effort, the way he goes about learning things, the way he invests himself in the game of football. I think Walt Bell was actually really good talking about Harlan Barnett's yeah. defense because Walt obviously I think has some experience uh, being a coordinator at Maryland for a couple of years uh, at least familiar with what they did at Michigan State under uh, under Harlan Barnett when he used to go defensive coordinator there and, and talk about its simplicity yep. uh, talk, but he talk, also praised the third down packages which I talked to Pat Narduzzi at the ACC meetings and he said it's kind of like more like a 3-4 look I would like to do a little more research and, and look at it more but it sounds like you get those you know, quote unquote exotic blitzes and, and kind of put a bunch of pass rusher defensive end types on the field simultaneously. Yeah, but when you talk about Harlan Barnett, most of what our analysis has been has been that cover four press scheme. That's one other thing that that a Walt Bell said about the, the the scheme is that he, you know, they have eight guys in the box just kind of force you to be to be aggressive as an offense trying to make you uncomfortable. So uh, l- let's talk big picture about the two coordinators. I thought they were both really, really impressive. Now, uh, you know, sliding scale here, um, we <laughs> – we haven't gotten to talk to coordinators a whole lot, and I won't go too much into Jimbo. <laughs> Don't be bitter. I think but, we, should, we should be fair to FSU in that regard. I mean, we talked to coordinators at, you know, prestigious bowl games. We talked to them during, you know, media days during the season. But it seems like we might get them a little bit more often around with this and just regime. Even in this setting to have, okay, podium and all attentions on them, you're not having to split time. Like There's an actual focus on these guys. Yeah, I don't know how much it's going to be during the season. Yeah. That's not clear yet. <clears throat> but them trotting out coordinators this early hasn't happened in a long time. It's usually a media day in a in a, yeah. in a scrum. It was refreshing. It was it was it was refreshing uh, from the point of there's stuff to write about. I think the fan base, I think our our readers, Soffit's readers, are going to enjoy the content that comes out of it. Uh, and I thought it was really informative. These are two new guys, uh, two guys who I don't have a whole lot of experience. Like there's guys with Taggart staff that we had worked with previously, but never these two guys are outside of, of people that, that we had known. So to get to hear their philosophies, to get to know a little bit about them, I thought it was really encouraging. Uh, and I thought both came off as really polished, saw the big picture, and and guys that uh, definitely Walt Bell, you see him as a rising star. Harlan's a little bit older, but yeah. uh, at one point in time... Yeah, but Harlan's in that prime time of that could trying be, to be a head yeah, coach. And I think he could be, and I think that's... He talked about stretching himself. I think this is... This is why he took the FSU job. Yeah, I think overall, too, it's, um, you know, FSU, Jimbo Fisher was here for, you know, 10, 11 years, coach, head coach at eight years. All of his assistants, kind of like fans kind of have a connection to them already from eight years or so of watching them on TV or hearing them in a few interviews here or so, like Rick Trickett, Tim Brewster. These guys have been synonymous with FSU the last couple of years, and I think by the school allowing them to talk more this season early, too, it's going to give fans a chance to connect with them, too, because they're all new, brand new outside of Odell Higgins, mm-hmm. you know? I, I was mighty impressed by both of them. With Walt, his explanation of what he believes his role as coordinator is yeah, I was stuck with me. Very mature and It's, and it's about being, a good, first and foremost, he said, a good employee, but somebody that makes sure Willie Taggart's job is easier, especially on game day. Mm-hmm. And that, that deals specifically with the offensive side of the ball. 
where, you know, Willie, that's Willie's baby and walks there to make sure the baby doesn't cry or do anything it's not supposed to do. And then defensively, with Harlan Barnett, here you have a guy in his mid-50s, excellent coordinator, great player, highly respected guy in the game of football. He gets asked about Mickey Andrews, and he sounds like a 20-year-old talking yeah. about wanting to get wisdom from <laughs> yeah. an adult. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I, and I think that everybody I've spoken to about Harlan since his hire, one speaks of the man he is, mm-hmm. and two speaks of the coach he is. Mm-hmm. And it's always in that order, and it's not a knock on his coaching ability. And Mickey's awesome. Any of us that had the opportunity of working around Mickey understands what Mickey's like. He's genuine. He's a little pistol, but he loves the game of football, loves yeah. talking X's and O's. I thought Harlan talking about that, about wisdom and just listening and taking a back seat to a man like that is a mighty impressive thing for a guy who really doesn't need to take a back seat. He's a peer to that same person, but he doesn't view it that way. It, it's mm-hmm. an always learning experience for him. And, you know, I, I just thought Harlan backed up everything we have heard about him for, you know, the last six to eight months now. And I, I thought going off of Harlan's respect for, for Mickey and having that the understanding of the connection to the past to the present with the program and Safed you wrote about it so I'll kick it over to you uh Walt Bell mentioned Charlie Ward and, and I thought his response when when talking about why he took the Florida State job was really cool because he, he praised Willie Taggart but at the same time said no offense to Willie but you know there's five or six seven jobs in the country that you take uh and and if they call Florida State's one of them yeah and while saying that he said you know he grew up in his front yard you know pretending to run around like Charlie Ward mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as soon as you hear names like Charlie Ward and Mickey Andrews and, you know, we're seeing Dion around the program way more than we ever did, um, you know, FSU, Willie Taggart, and these guys have done a really great job really connecting mm-hmm. um, to the past and trying to bring it to the future. And I think that's something that um, Taggart kind of has in store for his team. I think after every day of fall camp, they're going to have some kind of lesson or some kind of sit down. They're going to watch the Bowden Dynasty documentary on, you know, the Bowden years here at FSU, but they're going to have some lessons throughout the season, even more so than they had, you know, as soon as Taggart got here, to learn a little bit more about the school, um, the team, what it was like during the 80s and 90s. Um, and I don't think it'll be as much about the 2000s, but, <laughs> you know, uh, that I think it's something that Taggart has kind of really wants to emphasize, though, is this team to know its past so it knows where it's going in the future, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's going to know about what Jimbo Fisher did, you know, 29 straight wins, 29 draft picks, you know, a, the, one of the best runs in college football history. If you really look at what he did here yeah. at Florida State, um, including that title. Um, but I think for them to know their past, too, it's something that's really going to, you hopefully, hopefully for them, you think you hope for them to really take to it. You know, mm-hmm. eighty-five to nineteen ninety-nine. If you know those years of FSU football, you'll have a healthy respect for what it is, what it became, and what it should always be. And obviously, people after ninety-nine, specifically Jimbo Fisher, have carried that on and done it. But I think it's clear that that, and plus, that's also Willie's upbringing years when. He had a fandom for the program, so there's a tie for him there. But mm-hmm. it's clear that those are the crucial years. The Bowden dynasty is going to talk about that. Former players that come in are going to be from that era. Guys that are you know, in reference point for some of the current student athletes, and especially some of the people around the program, it's from that 15-year mark. So I wrote, I wrote a column, and you guys are welcome to read it if you'd like. Uh, Chris said it was a little Homer-ish, which is funny because I'm not a Florida State you know, fan necessarily. You've been converted. I guess so. I, I, <laughs> I'll say this. I, I am a fan of what Willie Taggart is doing because I think he's yeah. hitting the right notes over and over and, and over again. It's not bullshit. It, doesn't, it, it comes off as 
it's rooted in at least being as much as a football coach can be genuine. He he really is excited about this job. That's evident. He he is uh, someone who's admired this program, as you alluded to, Chris, for a really long time. Uh, family members are diehard fans. So so that's all comes from a very real spot. But but I guess what I wanted to to say on that is. You know, we're getting to the point where all this great stuff is going to start being viewed in, in wins and losses. Yeah. And this, you know, tonight was one of the last times we get to, to judge it just based on optics. And I thought those two guys that his, he surrounded himself with, that he made hires, you know, guys who weren't with him before at previous stops, I thought he hit home runs with both of them. Uh, I thought that on paper, when, when they were hired, I thought they both were really sensible and logical. And then today, after seeing them, seeing, one, the chemistry they have with Willie Taggart, seeing the big-picture view they have of the program and the way they think all their philosophies mesh together, it, man, it just all it all seems to make sense right now. It all feels like it's headed in the right direction. Again, we'll see come September 3rd, but I think after today, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Yeah, it has, like, a too-good-to-be-true kind of feeling. It right? does to an extent. It all just makes a lot... It, just, it all fits very neatly together, but yeah. that that's better than the alternative of it not making any sense, right? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, like, we, you, you remember how low this team was last year and where it was and falling to 2-5, and five, like, the worst start FSU you ever had. Guys crying after every game, some of them incons- mm-hmm. inconsolable. Uh, some was, not caring either. And it it, also, it, yeah. None of it was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, the guy's crying and being consoled. The emotional was spectrum than the was other. all in a negative <clears throat> range, and it went from mm-hmm. apathetic to just, you know, sad yeah. and devastated. And it seemed like the Odell Higgins era, <laughs> 2 0 yeah. in the Odell Un- era. Undefeated, baby. That was a lot of um, a lot of repair needed to happen there. A lot of consoling needed to happen there. Mm-hmm. And I think just the cloud of Jimbo Fisher leaving definitely left its mark, a positive one in that sense. And then for FSU to quickly hire Willie Tigard within a span of like a week, maybe less than that, mm-hmm. um, after Jimbo Fisher took the job at A&M, um, FSU moved swiftly. And with it, the program has moved swiftly from or being from a really, really bad place that it was last season, where even guys were saying, like, I remember Ricky Aguayo saying, we're focusing on losing instead of winning. Yeah. And I'm like, what well, do you mean by that? Like, are you <laughs> focusing on just like, you know, you're trying not to lose, but you're losing instead, and they lost by... They got drummed at Boston College, a team they beat, what, five times in a row before that? No, they didn't quit, though. <laughs> Wayne's not here. Well, neither Jimbo or Karen Key Largo, but I'm still going to talk about Jimbo, it. Yeah, yeah. That's debatable, too, I'm sure. You know, but I think, you know, Willie Tiger just hit the right notes. It does feel a little good to be true, but um, you got a really... You got a good team that's coming in here week one. Um, yeah. you have a that helps, honestly. I think. Mm-hmm. I think if you had Samford Week One, your your measure of focus for your players isn't the same. There, there's a pressing matter at hand. Yeah, you have to prove to everybody that this isn't all just a fluke. And you know what happens if FSU goes zero and one the first week of the season? Like, uh, is everything off or not? Is it all, that's it always, what I, like it's not. Well, he, that's probably for another podcast. At ACC kickoff, he used tone setter. Mm-hmm. He used it again today in yeah. talking about that first game and comparing last year to this year with big time openers. I think it's clear that you know one with Willie, there wasn't a learning curve of being Florida State's coach. He kind of walked in, knew what came with the job. Yeah, he had a healthy 
um, knowledge of the history of the program and what it means. And, you know, he's worked in this state, competed against it. He gets all those things. So there wasn't the, like, six months. It wasn't Bronco Mendenhall walking into Charlottesville and figuring out what the hell am I doing in yeah. Virginia. It wasn't that. <laughs> they made a bowl game last year, didn't they? Yeah, I like Bronco. I, I think Bronco's I, a great I didn't coach. think it was a good It's fit. still a weird hire. Uh, very weird. Moving um, in the right direction. But with Willie, there isn't that. So it's been very much about business. And mm-hmm. two pressing matters for him was, one, building – an internal team concept. We're seeing that with IMG and many other things they've done since his hire. And the second thing is winning football games. We have talent here. It's an ACC kickoff. He's talking about it's not you know that far off. I don't think it's a slow build. He wants it to be accelerated, and you do that by coming out of gate the right way. They haven't really lowered expectations at yeah. any point when they they haven't they haven't gassed them up either but there hasn't been a whole lot of there low. hasn't been look at the schedule it's really tough yeah, we haven't heard that because fuente kind of did that about florida state he kind of couched things a little bit yeah. um it, yeah that first game is a tone setter but i think you know, to, to that point like if they go one and oh then all of a sudden i'm trying to think of the schedule off the top of my head but i think five and oh before the bye week Sanford, becomes syracuse northern illinois yeah um I'm not sure about the Miami game, guys, as being a surefire one. Is that before the – Miami's October so talking, 6th, yeah, and then the bye yeah. week is after Miami. And okay, then you so have that no, three-week uh, stretch with Miami. NC State, okay. Clemson, So 4 and 0. Let's say, let's say you start 1-0 and then all of a sudden 4-0 and becomes mm-hmm. likely, right? Then you get a team that is still – you look at the composite rankings and, and the talent that they've had on the roster. All of a sudden it's just the difference of last year – not being functional and not believing, and like Safed alluded to earlier, uh, thinking you're going to lose or having that to all of a sudden thinking good things are happening. Then all yeah. of a sudden, like, then what's the upside? And you're talking about every game on the schedule is <clears throat> possibly winnable. Uh, so I, I just think that, that Willie's done a nice job in, in getting this team to start believing itself again. I don't know how fragile the footing that is. Like, I don't know if you start 0-1, what happens. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the general direction of the program right now. I think if they start 0-1, that's when Taggart's job really starts. It's mm-hmm. where all the stuff that he built this offseason, how do you reinforce it in a week to mm-hmm. you know essentially beat Sanford and Syracuse back-to-back weeks? But I think this team, it feels like it's come so far from, and I could just rattle off a number of episodes we've seen in the last couple of years, where it's being you know dropped at Louisville to loafing against UNC and losing on that field goal to you know even last season where you know Derwin James gives up that play and they feel kind of hopeless um, or losing DeAndre before that uh, the fumble against Louisville last season mm-hmm. you know and then dropping everything at Boston College that killed them yeah. the team the team is not it, it seems like with this new coaching staff and everybody buying into the philosophy and the energy around it that those little moments, those little hiccups are going to be like, okay, let's rally now instead of like, oh, no, let's go into a corner and, and you know, kind of succumb to it. Yeah, it's not all rah-rah-ry. There's been plenty of talk of coping with failure, understanding that failure comes with the game, understanding how to deal with adversity, teaching guys to deal with adversity. It's clear that that's been a key component in the restructuring of a lot of these guys' mental approach to the game of football here. Mm-hmm. All right, so – all kind of agree that the that the coordinators today impressed. Yeah, impressed. Well, I was a looker, man, and he <laughs> like I asked him a question, he stared me right in the eyes, and I was like, he has that southern drawl. This guy, yeah, he is a he's a charmer for sure. Yeah, but it's easy <clears throat> it's easy to see why he's a guy who has ascended among yeah. the coaching ranks. Very very clear why. Very personable. Very thoughtful. Very articulate. But I know um, we see him on the field. He seems self aware like, too. Yeah. yeah. 
we see him on the field here, and he's like mm-hmm. leading players through drills and like doing everything for them, you know, like yeah. before them. Over under on how many years he's at Florida State? If they're good, I'm sending that two. If they're good, I'll I'll take just a slide over on two. Yeah. But if they're good, he's going to be in a discussion. I don't think he jumps at the first thing that comes along. No, you can't. No, he doesn't have to. He, he's yeah. going to try to get a very good job. I mean, he's 34. I'd say three to five. Three to five years is like five is stretching it. But oh, man. if I, FSU is able to put something together, he seems like the kind of guy that's like. Hey Willie, let me call a, a few more plays here and there. Let me call a few more plays. I'll stay a little bit longer. We got something going here, and then you know maybe the concessions kind of wear their tone, and then he finds a great job. But Willie got something going here. I think you see Barnett and Bell probably stay a little bit longer just to keep what's going on going. I I think he either does great and leaves after a couple of years, or it doesn't go great and they find someone else after a couple of years. I think he's just someone who whose shelf life is. Is short because he's going to be a commodity um, if, if things go well. Um, all right, so we're 25, oh, God, 28 minutes in. Should we do lightning round talking each I was gonna position sit, going into preseason I want to see what we Wait, have. we're not done? Yeah, I was going to say, how much, how much do we have I you I say for? we go lightning round talking each okay. position going into preseason practice. Keep it short, get to the point, all say right. what you think, what do you expect, what do you want to learn. All right, quarterbacks, let's start with that because that's what everyone wants to talk about. That was a big topic of conversation today. I'm talking faster, but I'm still going to be meandering. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the takeaways, though, today was we talk about the quarterback battles that the three guys are going to all get cracks with the first team at various points. Uh, they didn't really divulge like what the ratio was going to be, but James Blackman, DeAndre Francois, Bailey Hockman, all are going to get looks. I think that's fair to say at this point, right? Yeah, Fr- Francois needs to show that, one, he's healthy, and two, that he has taken the next step mentally as a person and a player and a teammate. Mm-hmm. He does those things, he can win the job. I think for me, the health part is probably the biggest part for me because patella tendon. Yeah. You know, I tore my Achilles last summer. Uh, the patella tendon. In a layup line. In the layup line, yes. You're uh, almost uh, as much of a physical specimen as that's, DeAndre. That's another. That, I was Kano <laughs> back in my day, guys. <laughs> but, you know, the patella tendon, it connects your knee to your shin. Like, it's the front Achilles of the front of your foot. Like, that's not an injury you really do come back from in a matter of months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything is smooth sailing after that. So, seeing how healthy he is. And also putting on that weight that he did, you know, sometimes it's good weight, sometimes it's bad. But if your your limbs are not used to you carrying a heavy load, maybe you get hurt again. Um, you know, I'm not going wood for him, but <laughs> stop it out here predicting seeing, injuries. Jesus Christ! You know, seeing how he comes back from such an injury like that yeah. is, is what I want to see. Uh, there's definitely a couple of variables with DeAndre: the knee, and then the the Off. how he is as a leader, um, <laughs> and whether he kind of you know keeps his nose clean. Uh, yeah, th- those are the two things that he has to <laughs> that he has to prove to to his teammates, to his coaching staff. Uh, but he is, I think, the most physically gifted quarterback on the roster. Uh, sometimes in life, don't overcomplicate things. I think yep. he probably gives you the best chance. Walt Bell talked about winnable traits today, uh, whether they be physical or the mental traits. And I think DeAndre has probably, at this point in his career, the most. Uh, that's not to say that if James Blackman becomes more consistent as a passer, he showed that he made some awesome throws, uh, and people really, really, really like him and respect him. Uh, apparently Bailey Hockman, we saw in the spring game, but he he lit it up the last couple of days of spring practice. If, on one good wheel. Yeah, yeah. With the the foot was was it broken? I forget. I, I think it was a like fracture. Yeah. In the middle. Yeah. Um, they have three. They're in a much better spot than they were a year ago in terms of experience. Um, in terms of of quality, I think. Who do we think is going to start against Virginia Tech? I'm leaning Francois at this point. I would also lean to Francois. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, say words, don't shake your head on the, people can't uh, see it on the podcast. No, I was just acknowledging Chris and then looking at your beautiful eyes. And I'm going to help yeah, our sure. boy out over here. Running backs. No, no, it's DeAndre Francois. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> <laughs> had to get my hot take out. <laughs> Running backs, loaded, stable. Akers is going to be the main man. Patrick's going to give you what he can give you. You know what he is. And I think LeBourne is going to be a breakout star. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to see these guys kind of get out in the flats and take like passes, like short passes upfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, think that's Amir, what LeBourne feasts. I think, Le, and I think Amir Rasul would also feast yep. from that as well. Yeah, uh, they have about four or five legitimate like guys who could start in other programs around the country, probably. Uh, and Cam Akers being the workhorse. Yeah, let's not sleep good. on Jack West Patrick from Orlando. <laughs> the probably one of the best yeah, running backs in the We take for granted what he's good at because it's the same thing he's been good at for three years. Yeah. He he averaged more yards per carry than Cam Akers did last year. Um and missed a couple games too. So like I mean he's yeah, we kinda overlook him because he's not as sexy as the other guys in terms of uh, the whole home run stuff, but he's I don't good. Know, at the three yard line he's gonna be really sexy. <laughs> yeah, when he's scoring touchdowns, you'll be all right with it. Yeah. All right. Uh wide receivers, tight ends, uh Tamarian Terry's the name. I think most of our listeners know at this point. If you don't know it, know it, because he's going to be damn good. If you don't know, now you know. (laughs) But I'll tell you guys right now. Baby, baby. DJ Matthews is going to be the next big Florida State star. I agree with that. I also think Treshawn Harrison is going to be in that category. I think Treshawn's a guy, he he was handpicked by Willie for his offense. And that was true at Oregon. That was true here. So I bet against a guy that Willie wanted no matter where he was at. Yeah, I think that's the same thing with like Trey McKitty is the guy that Willie wanted and, yeah, and Trey pushed McKitty's hard to, to get. And I think he's going to be a really good fit at tight yeah. end because it fits what they want to do. He's there. in a much better situation now on the team that he's on than last year on the same team. You mentioned <laughs> a lot of guys. Treshawn Harrison, uh, the, the freshman in general, there's five on campus. We've heard really good things consistently from multiple people that this is a group that's about its business. They're studied. Uh, they're showing up where they need to be, uh, a lot of positive stuff. But I think there's probably two or three guys that they get integrated into the game plan like in the first month of the season, and I think you end up seeing all five at some point in the year. But uh, Jordan Young's another name that we've heard. Warren Thompson. Looks really good, and Warren Thompson. And I think the other two are probably a little bit further behind, yeah. Demarcus Adams and, and Kayshawn Hilton. But and That's just really because of need behind Nooney Murray, who you yeah. don't know how much he's going to play. Yeah. Keith Gavin and George Campbell, who knows what's up with him. Is Nooney the only How wide much? receiver with a touchdown reception on this roster? I think so. I think that's correct. No, Gavin had one last year. No, Gavin's never, had, Gavin's a never had a touchdown. He still he, hasn't had nope. one? Some people tell you he's an NFL draft pick. Hey, guys, slow your roll. Keith's plenty talented, but at some point you got to put it together. That's it. We'll see what Dave Kelly does with him because confidence of building that up is going to be a big thing. But yeah. there's now guys on campus that are going to start pushing him, so I think he's kind of entering now or never territory. <laughs> I, had a, I had a funny conversation with Terry, and I was like, yo, I can't believe you weren't on the field at all last year. Me too! <laughs> this is after the spring game. Uh-huh. He's like, Near he's Willie like, Taggart! He's, <laughs> 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 he's like, yo, me neither, bro. Willie kind of like like gave a little peek into what he saw the first practice with Tamarian Terry during the uh, yeah, the during, the, during one of the bowl practices. Him. Yeah, I wonder if Willie was like, "What the fuck? Like, <laughs> why?" I didn't really know you guys can curse on your podcast. Oh cool. no, we have. Sorry. <laughs> there's like there's like five people that are old that get mad at us because they listen. Why would you listen to podcasts in front of a child? Like, no matter whose podcast it is. I just assume they're all vulgar. One day you'll have kids and you'll understand. Oh God, I hope not. Offensive line. <laughs> Yo, injuries are already starting. Derek Kelly's going to miss some time, uh, at least in in camp. Uh, Willie didn't really specify the injury there. But, uh, gosh, just for a group that cannot yeah. stay healthy, cannot develop continuity and chemistry, your utility player, a guy who you know can do above-average work at, like, four positions. <laughs> I think it made a lot already. of sense why Willie Taggart and um, Greg Frey had those guys cross-train all the positions during the spring because they were really injured in the spring. 
Mm-hmm. You kind of know who your center is. You know what Dickerson and what Minshew could give you. Um, I don't even know if you move Dickerson to tackle or keep him at guard or what that case you is. You may is have to move him to tackle. I think you figure it out from the inside out. You figure out how much value do we have on the inside. Do we have three guys that should be starting at guard? If that's the case, you move one to guards, tackle. If Dickerson's play tackle. The guy there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Kelly gives you versatility, play a lot of spots. He's probably a tackle spot. Jawan Williams, we'll see what he is and if the shoulder holds up. That position is going to have its woes. I think you can hide it some with a faster-paced offense and, you know, run to your strength, run between your guards and your center. You know, work to the middle more than to the outside. If you're going to the outside, give your running back some help going to the outside beyond just the O-line, stuff like that. Well, so you can kind of, you know, hide some of that. Clemson did it for years when they didn't have very talented O-lines. Now they have great O-lines. I think you kind of see that in this case. Now they're competing for national championships every year, which is and, exciting and about what, really what FSU is doing. Yeah. Line, but but five years ago, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And no, they just hit it with a fast-paced offense where they got rid of the ball and didn't allow the airline to hinder them. Yeah, that, and that, that offense lends itself to being able to, one, hide that, but then, two, once you get good guys there, too, it just takes it to another level, which is exciting long-term. But, yeah, FSU still has a lot to – to develop on the line. I thought Walt Bell was interesting that, that he admitted that the uh, offensive tackle depth wasn't – why are you smiling at me like that? Focus. That the offensive tackle depth wasn't exactly where it needs to be. Uh, I, I thought that was pretty telling that he was at least to say that, or at least he said it, it could be better, um, but he thought they had enough capable pieces. I think the two wild cards on the line, Jawan Williams, as Chris said, uh, shoulder if that holds up and exactly what he is because he hasn't played – and Bavion Johnson. I think those are two guys who have been injured their entire careers. Uh, and if they are both available, Bavion obviously gives you flexibility to start kicking guys out uh, to, to tackle and feeling good about it. Joel Williams, yeah, having someone at left tackle that you feel decent about obviously changes things up too. You need one of those two guys to be something this year to contribute and be adequate. Defensive line. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Okay. Their budding bromance, which has been going on for like six months, is devastating You've to me. You've been so jealous about this bromance, too, is the best part about it. It's like you guys are doing it just to annoy me at this part. <laughs> it's even on your podcast now. We waited 35 <laughs> minutes before Th- 37 we and 28 <laughs> seconds. Defensive line, Brian Burns is a dude. Apparently, Janarius Robinson, we saw him flash at the end of that, uh, at the end of spring, and uh, Harlan Burnett kind of kind of alluded to that. Uh, Joshua Kando, creative player. Uh, Want to see what he can do consistently. And Wally Amy. So... I think that defensive ends are a lot better than maybe anticipated heading into the spring. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a surefire strength other than Burns, but I do think it's a group that, that's going to be decent and, and has the upside to maybe be pretty good. And it's a group you're going to need some five stars in the next two classes for sure. Yeah, they added depth with the last class. Briggs is a big body. Chapman's a guy that can do a couple different things. If Peters gets in, he can be our speed rush and outside linebacker type. So you, you got Lamar a, looks like a defensive tackle. Yeah, Lamar is a guy who point. we gotta see how that body finishes up growing, but he does look like he's got he, that's gonna slide inside. I mean, they got plenty of talent on the D line. It's a matter of having a good second rotation mm-hmm. across the board. And I think they're figuring that out. But yeah. I, I'm not concerned about the D line. I am more concerned about the linebackers, obviously, mm-hmm. than I am with the front yeah, four. I would yeah. also share that concern with yeah. you as well. Well, yeah, the defensive tackles will be fine. Demarcus Christmas, Marvin Wilson, Fred Jones. Uh, that's a good three man rotation. And you just need one other guy to step up. Arthur Williams has been okay when he's played in limited action. Corey Durden is a guy they like. Uh, Jalen Parks. Fred Cole. Cole. I already said Fred Jones. You're not paying attention because you're looking at the roster. Yeah, well, I'm trying to look up the guys so I can be, you know, <laughs> contributing to your podcast. Anyways, you want to talk about the linebacker? 
Packers. Uh, you were excited to see Josh Brown, Adonis Thomas, and Amir ex- Rice, right? I'm excited by Dontavious Jackson. He's transformed that body, and he's a guy who mentally, from an outward standpoint, has changed drastically. Much happier kid that really wants to be here. And, and that also, wasn't true at times last year. Yeah, he's not in a doghouse anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And simple. And I think once the spring came and he realized he had an opportunity to really be a starter, what he wanted the whole time, but Matt Thomas, Jacob Pugh, and uh, Roderick Hoskins were ahead of him, when he finally realized that everything finally opened up for him, I think he really bought into it a little bit more, too. Yo, why is Roderick Hoskins in front of me? This shit doesn't make any sense. Hey, Chicago <laughs> Bears linebacker. Roderick Actually, like, when Roderick, there was a little Orlando, stretch there Orlando's his own. junior year where he was, yeah, Orlando Evans. He was really, really good for a little bit, and then, yeah, that. There's someone knocking on the door. <laughs> the the star position is going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, DeKalen Brooks is who they're talking about there, but I think Woodby's going to steal those reps before all said and done. I think that happens sooner rather than later. I think that's in part to get more defensive secondary talent on the field and put a guy who you really can trust. Trust is always a big word with coaches. Mm-hmm. I think Woodby's a guy they fully trust early. Dad, Daddy's been banging that drum for a few months now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm dad. But I by think the way. first snap of VTech game on defense to we'll be Brooks, Brooks is yeah. your star. I think gradually in the span of and I think Brooks still probably plays because I, yeah. I I do think they legitimately like him. Uh, but Jaden Woodby could be really special and they think he can't be special. Uh, and you find special you find a way to get special guys on the on the field. So when they play special. With star, is that in four two five or like four three? It, it's a four three, but I mean Harlan described it today it as like an old school five? safety. Okay. In that third linebacker spot. So if it's a four three, it's a weak, it would be what the weak side linebacker was. Or if it's a four two five, like in the old scheme, they had a star, but that was a more of a cornerback safety kind of guy. This is gonna be more linebacker. Who would safety. play that position from last season's team? I mean, obviously Darwin, probably right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want a guy that you want a guy that can you want a guy that can cover, can pursue, can tackle. It's like a, yeah, they can, I know you want that at like every spot. In the NFL, spot they, is very in the NFL they call it the big nickel. I think yeah. it's kind of something that last like five or six years became popular. You also you, yeah. you have to be willing to uh, knock the shit out of people at that spot. Yeah, like, you you have to be a physical being at that spot. You don't have to be the biggest, obviously, with Brooks being there. But you have to be willing to lay the wood. Now, at Michigan State, that guy was about like two thirty or so, if I remember looking at the depth chart right. And then Harlan kind of alluded to today, because when they first came, they were talking about, and and Saf, I remember you writing about it, like that they were going to go with three linebackers more often, which was going to be new. Uh, And and Barnett said today he kind of even, since being here, changed some of what he thought the star should be. And then they went from talking about having a third linebacker to all of a sudden Willie starts dropping hints in the the offseason about, you know, it being a 4-2-5 defense now. Inevitably, this is all just kind of semantics. It's a hybrid spot where they want a big guy, in the sense of a bigger safety or a smaller linebacker, someone who can cover and is comfortable in space but still be physical. You want the best of both worlds there. I think by that category, like how you described it, I think like Hamza or Woodby would be those two guys. Like well, I think you move Woodby down to keep Hamza above the yeah. safety Because okay, yeah. initially we kind of thought maybe Hamza would make sense, but he's a little taller, a little leaner. Woodby seems really comfortable there. But, yeah, I, I think yeah. Woodby's probably the, the, the guy who ends up getting a lot of reps there. So – I do like about real quick before linebacker. I do like that you actually have like I think Dontavious Jackson could be kind of an alpha dog kind of guy um, if properly motivated, like Chris kind of kind of alluded to, and Jaden Woodby seems to have that. It's been a long time since they've had a Telvin Smith in the middle of yeah. the defense. Um, I mean, that's it's it's kind of like James Winston offense. You don't have a Telvin on on every defense. No, exactly. It's you, it's you so need a linebacker that enjoys hit hitting people. Yeah, and I don't know if they, and I don't know if they have three of them right now. They have. I think they're gonna have two. I mean, you have Matthew Thomas, who is skittish as they come, 
you had Roe Hoskins who has no presence whatsoever. Yeah. And, and you, Pew was disengaged. And Pew, for, yeah, Pew was only on the field thirty percent of the time and pissed off the other seventy percent of the time. So <laughs> he didn't really have that last uh, year. But when Jimbo called him Jacob Poo, Poo. the Freudian <laughs> slip. Hey, Seattle Seahawks linebacker Jacob Poo. Um, so that's He's a great outside rusher. The Sam linebacker spot's the one that's going to be interesting to watch in, in uh, preseason camp. Yep. Josh Brown. I don't know if Emmett Rice is big enough to play that, but he may be their most talented like third linebacker. Uh, we'll see. I don't think they're going to fall no, into not. an obsession with pigeonholing guys to specifics. Correct. Like measurement. And you're going to try to find three guys that make them really talented. I think if you, if you find the best three and you're okay with them being, as long as you're but okay with them. But versatile. There's okay. no doubt about that. Yeah, but even that, like Harlan's kind of changed up his idea of yeah. it apparently, and, and they're going to get the best 11 on the field. That's when FSU was really successful in 2013 on defense. They got the best 11 on the field. Defensive backs. Defensive backs. Damn it, I was going to do that. <laughs> Defensive I'm, backs. I'm really excited about seeing Stanford Samuels really start. Yeah. And I think you know, we all know Levante Taylor is going to shut down what he does, but his size is always kind of a question. You know, you're kind of always going to get that for a guy his size, but uh, Stanford really locking down other the role. I'm really excited to see that happen. And also, I kind of, I really don't know who the backup, you know, cornerbacks are. Becker might Becker be going to be one. Of, you know, uh, where's Fagan in, the, in this whole scheme? Harlan mentioned Kyle Myers yeah, as Kyle someone Myers that he liked in the spring. He had a really nice spring game. Uh, that's another. That's another wild card. Star. No, that was well, in, the was in the old scheme. scheme. Yeah. He's not really yeah. as much. This in is what we're yeah. That, that's, there that, we go. That, 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 there you to go. play corner in this scheme, you better be willing to get your arms out there, press, and know what to do if a guy comes off the press. Har- Harlan said you got to. They have a defense that likes to spit on the offense, right? Was that how he? Or not Harlan? Their corners uh, is going to force you to do one, one or two things. You're going to hug the sideline, and the sideline is going to act as an additional mm-hmm. defender. Or you're going to be pinched in the middle where you might get decapitated by the star or linebacker hanging around, mm-hmm. or the safety barreling down on a play. Yep, set it, they, set they're a tone, taking, they're taking away a large lane of usage for each mm-hmm. receiver on the outside. They mm-hmm. don't want to give you essentially like you know five feet in, five feet out from the hash in certain areas around that. Yeah, you got to be able to. You got to be physical. You got to press, and that's kind of what they consider like the tone setter of that yeah. defense. Uh, just whip, whip the guy in front of you. That's that's the name of the game. Uh, safety, Cyrus. Fagan at field safety probably right right is that kind of I mix them up in different field schemes, free safety field f- he's gonna be playing on the, on the Stanford cross trained a bit there there yeah because as it explained to us like it, it, that's probably one of the more important positions on this defense because there's so much you're sort of a center fielder with a lot of space to cover and you make a lot of this yes correct and the other and you make a ton of decisions because you kind of decide where like if it's a vertical pattern then all of a sudden like it's kind of pattern matching-esque where you have to go with the with the like if they decide to play cover two the corners and you're left up making that decision yeah you're determining depth and Reading stuff and in the yeah and reacting so that may so I, I i would hate the idea of like you take stanford samuels away from playing cornerback but if you need your best defender there. That may make sense, too. And he's a guy that processes it pretty yeah, quickly. Exactly. He's he's a football-minded kid uh, beyond being a couple months ago on the, on the podcast, Chris forced me to say that he was going to be a for, future first-round first draft. He is. I was to be like, I think he's going to be like a second-round pick like three yeah. years out. And he's just going to say he's a first because he probably is going to I'm be. here for it. I can All see right. that, yeah. I just, you know, <laughs> you always I, I think back to that Alabama game when um, – Who's that? Ridley? Ridley. Ridley. Yeah, Ridley got him. No, I don't think no, Ridley. That was Ermon Lane's yeah, fault. Yeah, I thought it was more Ermon's fault than Stanford because I think we like Stanford and we don't want to. Well, yeah, yeah, we don't have to deal with Ermon being pit- no, but, but I think it was Ermon's fault. Ermon had a bad read on it and then Stanford kind of just let it go because he thought Ermon had it. 
So, but I do remember that play, and I'm like, damn, that's probably not the best play you want in like, the yeah. first series of your career. Yeah, having having <laughs> the true freshman guard the first round draft pick wide receiver, yeah. like a burner who's running a vertical pattern. Yeah, not great. Uh, the play calling sometimes last year. All right, so <laughs> some, preseason, some preseason camp. That's what we're kind of expecting from the positions. Uh, we all said – Francois, we think, will probably be the quarterback. Special Anything teams. else? No, I'm not going to talk about Bob, special teams. Bob's about to come running through those doors to talk about, talk about, about some kickers teams. and punters. I don't do that. I mean, <laughs> Logan Tyler's your punter. Ricky Aguayo's your kicker. Grant, Grant Glennon's your long snapper. What else do you want to talk about? I think Aguayo's name really got to him onto that Lou Groza list. And I think people... He was good last year. He was 18-21. Yeah, he's definitely he's your return, man. Uh, punt return DJ Matthews. All yeah, day. I want to see DJ doing it all yeah. the time. I told uh, you guys what I told you guys about DJ. <laughs> Trey Sean Harrison's a guy who I think can fit into one of those roles as well, personally. Yeah, yeah, really fluid. Um, at kickoff Vision. return, um, I mean, Rasul maybe? I don't know. I can see Rasul. I can see LeBorn if he's not getting enough carries. Yeah, find a way to get him the ball. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the new rules impact kickoff returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Not not that interesting. <laughs> Neither of us seem that interested by it. Sorry. I remember just fans being so upset with me during the the Independence Bowl because I was like, "Oh come on, just let McFadden take one back one last time." <laughs> <laughs> Never again. Never again. San Francisco 49ers cornerback. Apparently, he's doing a nice job in uh, in camp. Go figure. I like this bit. Matthew Thomas here, is doing. <laughs> I like that bit you got NFL Knowles, man. I'm here for it. <laughs> How else do you think he's gonna get his 120, 120 content items a month? He's got to write about. Training camp battles oh, for in the NFL. <laughs> All right, anything else you want to talk about? No. Tomorrow's first day of practice, nice and early in the morning. We'll probably do another pod, I would presume, I don't know, maybe Friday. Oh, I'm never doing this with you guys again, by the way. You're always welcome back on my pod. Thank you. When, we, when we kill Officer Known, you'll be our new regular. I will not be um, an accomplice. Yes, I will. <laughs> so, yeah, that's about it. I think we're done here. With the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Thanks for – oh, God. I can never stick the landing. Thanks to Chris <laughs> Neesoff and Deed for joining me. We'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>